it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yes, and I could add never making excuses. Oh, this I would hope I would be. Let's say I was late. I would say I'm, I was late. I would, I'd say the elevator was off. Let's say if I was late today and the elevator just didn't come down. I would say I was late, but I take total responsibility. Unlike the President of the United States, I'm just offended by what he did yesterday and what he's probably going to do today. I know he's going to have a... Uh, I know he's going to have an event today, and he's going to be at a farm. He's going to be talking about how the Putin price hike is causing inflation, which is now at 8.3%, down from 8.5%. It's obscenely high. So uh, Rich Lowry at the bottom of the year will break, we'll break into his thoughts. As you know, he's editor of National Review and author of The Case for Nationalism. And we'll take your calls, one 408 So we have a lot to discuss, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. I do think that it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was, that was a mistake because it, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice. This surprised me. Elon Musk making it clear. He gets Twitter. Trump's back on. Back on Twitter if Elon gets it. Good move or bad? What do you think? The 45th president also weighed in. Number two. We otherwise continue to believe that President Putin would probably only authorize the use of nuclear weapons if he perceived an existential threat to the Russian state or regime. But we will remain vigilant in monitoring every aspect of Russia's strategic nuclear forces. $40 billion and counting. As the House says yes to more money for Ukraine as the Zelensky forces push Russia out of Kharkiv, and Russia makes painful progress in the east. This, as U.S. intel says, Vladimir Putin will go to extremes to win a war that might just take him down. Number one. Do you take any responsibility for inflation in this country? Do you take any responsibility for your policies? I think our policies help, not hurt. There are two leading causes of inflation we're seeing today. The first cause of inflation is a once-in-a-century pandemic. A second cause. Mr. Putin's war in Ukraine. Okay, and the third cause is going to make you sick. Deflection on inflation. That's the game President Biden is playing with the number one problem in America. We'll talk about this irresponsible approach and examine how we get to this crisis point. Look, you have economic experts who said, like Larry Summers, like Steve Ratner, Democrat, liberal Democrats, uh, who said the $1.9 trillion rescue plan was a problem. You've had other people looking at the Fed saying they're taking forever to raise interest rates with, that would counter the slight cl- the climb of the inflation rate, which the president said would be transitory. They didn't start raising rates until late. Experts are debating this. Read to the front page of the New York Times today. You don't see a Republican that's part of the problem in either one of those situations. They didn't vote for the $1.9 trillion rescue plan, and they certainly were not cheering for, uh, uh, for Powell to uh, raise rates or decrease rates. We couldn't get. They were basically at zero when he took over. So when the president of the United States gets upon the microphone yesterday, uh, I should have not been that surprised, but I was stunned. Number one, that he doesn't take any blame. Number two— that he goes into 
this ultra, this, this new phrase, ultra MAGA. I hate being manipulated. I mean, this isn't even Madison Avenue. They, they probably rounded up a bunch of people at a supermarket and said, I'll give you free Kellogg's uh, uh, Rice Krispies if you answer this question. How do you feel about ultra MAGA? Does it have negative connotations? Should we blame them for what's going on in this country right now? Rick Scott rolls out an 11-point plan. One of the 11-point plans, and he's uh, chairman of the Senate Republican Committee. One of the plans says, and the bottom of number five says, have everybody – Pay the 50% of the country that pays no income tax, have half the country, that 50% pay, I don't care how little it is, pay into it. You have to have some skin in the game. Now the President of the United States says, well, these MAGA guys, they just want to, they actually want to just raise your taxes. Cut five. I never expected the ultra MAGA Republicans who seem to control the Republican Party now to have been able to control the Republican Party. I, I never anticipated that happening. What does that even mean? What you have done is this. You have tapped the strategic oil reserves. You have said you're cracking down on gouging, price gouging when it comes to oil and gas. Congratulations. What a big help. You passed the rescue plan, and you asked us to pass the Build Back Better plan. Great headline of the Wall Street Journal today, uh, essentially saying this is the – hey, Joe Biden – Pull a Costanza and do everything opposite in what you're doing. Instead, he decides to attack Rick Scott and doesn't even realize Rick Scott's from Florida. Cut six. Their plan has actually made working families, it's going to make working families poor. You don't have to take my word for it. It's in writing. They've made their intentions perfectly clear. Senator Rick Scott, Wisconsin, a member of the Senate Republican leadership, laid it all out in a plan. It's the ultra-MAGA agenda. Their plan is to raise taxes on 75 million American families, over 95 percent of whom make less than $100,000 a year total income. The average tax increase would be about $1,500 per family. They've got it backwards. Okay, a couple of things. For you to focus on a senator in the minority in Florida whose goal is to turn the Senate Red, got it. Mitch McConnell has not adapted this. Ronna McDaniel has said positive things about it. It's good to see something in writing on what you do. But if you look at some of the things, no offense to Rick Scott, they're the most general statements you'll ever read. But it just talks about general axioms and axioms that have been fueling conservative Republicans for years. But it's all in writing. And Mitch McConnell says, don't do this. Politically, it might look good. For us to be organized. But politically, it just becomes a target-rich event. And they pick out one line in number five. So Rick Scott was on with Fox and Friends about 90 minutes ago, and I think it was me that asked him, cut eight. There's nothing that the president said that's in there. What I've said is, let's get people back to work so they have skin in the game. I mean, think about it. We want people to work in this country. I grew up in a poor family. I, I lived in public housing, and I know what my mom said, get to work. So think about it. when you have work, you don't have to rely on the federal government for food stamps. You don't have to rely on the federal government for your health care. You don't have to rely on the federal government for anything. You're independent. Okay. So what he's saying is get off welfare if possible, disability if possible. Certainly this pandemic aid living off that, get to work, that generates income tax. 
FICA. That generates some type, you know, you might get a refund at the end of the year, but you're helping the economy. And by the way, you're helping your self-esteem. But the president never says we got to get back to work. I need that $7 million that aren't in work to try to apply for some of the 11 million jobs that are open. That's what the president should be saying. He's 78 years old right now. What, 79. What are you waiting for to do the right thing for the country? Cut 13 to Senator John Kennedy. His energy policy, here's his energy policy, wind, solar, and wishful thinking. Mm-hmm. He thinks he can run the greatest economy, the most powerful economy in all of human history without fossil fuels. And that's one of the main reasons why uh, the prices at the pump are, uh, are, are so high. And, and the American people see this. They see that after 14 months, um, nothing is built, nothing is back, and nothing is better. So, uh, you know, I'm doing one of my What Makes America Great specials will be on the history of oil and gas. And I had a chance to go into detail, talk on and off camera with these experts. And I know nothing about that area. I, I'm fascinated by it and what it's meant to our country and fueled our uh, becoming the number one ep- economic power in the world. And what I find frustrating is right now, oil and gas is like anything else in the free market. They can't just go do this for charity. They're a publicly traded company. They can't just go wildly digging wells and investing in places when there's uh, the payoff for their investment's not going to be great because they have an administration that's declared war on fossil fuels long term. In the short term, they say they can't make any money unless, I believe, a barrel of gas is $60 a barrel. So if you tell the oil and gas business, natural gas especially, guys, we need Europe bailed out. We've got to get off Russian gas. We're going to have to get the American people are paying uh, $5.65. It's an all-time high. Put another $2 onto that in California. We've got to help out. So I will backstop you with, if oil and gas drops below $60, whatever that number is, I think it would be 60 and 70 So I'll backstop you for the next three years. Number two, I'll, those permits that you have, I will get rid of the regulations that's stopping you from exercising those permits to explore. I'll cut out the regulations that allow you to be more aggressive in New Mexico on federal lands as well as in the U.S. They say if you apply uh, throughout uh, the rest of the uh, – in private. So they say if you apply for a permit, it takes forever to get a permit, and then you've got to pass these regulations or these tests. And then to do that, then you've got to drill. It takes years. I'll cut all that out. And when you promise to do that, the price drops. And then if you call Canada – and you call Mexico and say we're in a crisis situation, let's set up the North Atlantic, uh, North Atlantic Oil and Gas Reserve, and let's start doing this together. I'm telling you right now, the market would respond, and Republicans would be scared to death because they go, These guys, this guy means business. I want to talk about one other, the, uh, the big three, before I take a break, and that is what Elon Musk is doing on Twitter. I think it's so important. It's so much bigger than Twitter. So since January 6th, the, the social media companies – uh, Silicon Valley's had a great time just sidelining almost all uh, conservative thought. On, and they, because they're not in power, they have no way to truth, thoroughly prove the shadow banning and the banning is taking place at the rate it is. So Elon Musk comes in there and says, you know, I'm, I'm more center right. I was center left, voted for Obama twice, outraged about what's happening now, been totally iced out of this administration, even though I got the best electric vehicle and the best electric vehicle company in the country. By far, maybe the world that should be welcome to the green uh, energy people. So, no. So Elon Musk says, the more I think about it, we need free speech. I'm going to buy Twitter. So he's making moves to get it, and it looks like he will. And yesterday in a conference call, in a Zoom call, I forgot with whom, he said this. Cut 25. 
I do think that uh, uh, it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was that was a mistake um, because it uh, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice. So uh, everyone starts melting down on the left. It was a mistake. You know who agrees it was a mistake? Jack Dorsey. He reverses course and says he agrees with Elon Musk that Trump's account should be reinstated. Twitter's founder calls his original choice to ban the president a mistaken business decision. Wow. So the guy that should be hostile has been welcoming to Elon Musk. Not only are they, they fellow billionaires, there's something about Jack Dorsey that was almost held hostage by his board, by Silicon Valley, by the radical left, that Elon Musk has freed him up to speak his mind and take a company that he started and was stepping back from, first on the board and then step out. I find the whole thing fascinating. Cut 26. He has publicly stated that he will not be coming back to Twitter um, and that he will only be on Truth Social. And this is the point that I'm trying to make, which is perhaps not getting across, is that, there, is that banning Trump from Twitter didn't end Trump's voice. It will amplify it among the right. And this is why it is morally wrong and flat out stupid. If you're a Democrat, especially, what do you think? Should Trump do both? Trump social and Twitter? I'm not sure if he runs, he could do it without social media. And is his social media platform enough? Even Facebook powered him through 2016. And they, you know, Facebook basically moved into his office and they worked together to amplify Trump's voice and shock the world by actually beating Hillary Clinton, who never admitted that she really lost. One eight six. She actually gave credit to the Russians. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. We have a lot to discuss. Brian Kilmeade show. I'll come back with your calls and then get a perspective on yesterday's primary elections. Uh, Trump has put, pulled off forty seven victories, lost one. Governor of Nebraska. Uh, that is kind of explainable and understandable. But the big one is going to be Pennsylvania on Tuesday, a week from yesterday. Don't move, Brian Kilmeade show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. Precise, personal, powerful. Is America's weather team in the palm of your hands? Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. The uncertain nature of the battle, which is developing into a war of attrition, combined with the reality that Putin faces a mismatch between his ambitions and Russia's current conventional military capabilities, likely means the next few months could see us moving along a more unpredictable and potentially escalatory trajectory. 
At the very least, we believe the dichotomy will usher in a period of more ad hoc decision-making in Russia, both with respect to the domestic adjustments required to sustain this push, as well as the military conflict with Ukraine and the West. So that was Avril Haines. She's director of national intelligence, and uh, she uh, was briefing yesterday about what Vladimir Putin could actually do. Putin's plan, according to the intelligence community, is prepared to dig his heels in over the war in Ukraine and drag it out for some time. And along the way, he might resort to extreme measures. I didn't know this, but he set off at least 11 hypersonic missiles. Uh, if they were supposed to be that lethal and they are unstoppable, I don't know how much damage they're doing. Well, one did hit Odessa yesterday. I think it's cool uh, that they were able to survive. I don't think there are any civilian uh, casualties, which is great. Uh, meanwhile, we do know that in Kharkiv, that has been basically surrounded, the Russian soldiers have been pushed out. So his hope of taking the east is not going to include Kharkiv at the moment. What he's trying to do is get Odessa, and they've already locked up and blockaded the port, which means no grain gets in and out, no wheat gets in and out. That's bad for places like Africa, which is terrible. And look at Vladimir Putin. What's with this guy? He looks terrible. He looks shaky on Easter. And the other day, I'm watching him with a blanket over his legs, his blanket over his legs, which seems like a spring day in Russia. What is he, 100 years old? The little judo boy is having trouble holding it together, it seems, because he is his, his people are falling apart. Most of their precision weapons have dissipated. And now what they might do is everyone who's in metro, it seems to be civil services, the Russian turns to metro, has been told to go down and get a physical and be registered. And he might be looking for some sort of expanded draft. What he's got to worry about is if there is a massive draft of the men, there might be massive pushback. Already some mysterious fires are cropping up in Russia uh, on the recruiting centers and others. We know how bad they're fighting. We know if you get a conscripted man or woman, I guess, it takes about a year to get them ready. Then you got to train the trainers to get them ready. But I don't know if they have a plan to quit yet. There's no plan to talk yet. And even the president of the United States says, what are we going to talk about? Here's the good news. And John Kirby pointed it out with Neil Cavuto. Cut 21. The Ukrainians have mounted a very stiff uh, resistance uh, in Kharkiv. And Kharkiv is geographically very important to Russia, particularly if they're trying to cut off the, the Donbass in the eastern part of Ukraine. It's a big uh, industrial city, uh, which is very, very clearly placed to help them do that. What we're seeing is not only are the Ukrainians continuing to resist any Russian efforts on Kharkiv, and we do think the Russians want to take it, but they're actually now pushing them back out. Uh, and you're really seeing this very demonstrably to the east of Kharkiv, Neil, where they're pushing the Russians now more than 20 miles to the east back into the Donbass region. So the Russians are actually losing ground and losing uh, some of their uh, firepower and, and, uh, and force around Kharkiv. In, in portions of it, they are pushing forward in Donbass, which I hate. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. In 15 minutes, we'll be able to take some calls. But next, we're going to talk to uh, Rich Lowry. We'll talk about the Roe v. Wade, what could, be, what could be overturned, the demonstration we're seeing in the Supreme Court justice houses. And what about Rick Scott? Did he make a mistake publishing his 11-point plan for success in the election? Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
But because of the pandemic, we had disruptions in our supply of important materials. So prices went up. The second big reason for inflation is gas prices. And it's Vladimir Putin's gas price increase. The deficit went up every year under my predecessor before the pandemic and during the pandemic. Yeah, that was a, a little of the blamerama of President Biden yesterday. What an embarrassment. This is the anti-American spirit of uh, if you're a leader, take responsibility. He blamed the pandemic, Vladimir Putin, and he blamed Rick Scott's plan that's not been implemented or endorsed anywhere. Been brought up and praised by Ronna McDaniel. That's about it. And that was the reason. That's what Republicans would do. And they came up with the new name, Ultra MAGA. Please tell me how that gets gas prices down. Joining me now is Rich Lowry, editor of National Review, no stranger to politics. Rich, was that a good political play yesterday? Well, uh, it's not going to work. It's all they got. I mean, all they got is talking about Roe and trying to make excuses on inflation. And, you know, some of that's true. Obviously, Putin's invasion has put upward pressure on gas prices, although they, they were escalating well before he invaded Ukraine, obviously. The pandemic and supply chain disruptions have a big role in inflation. But uh, another enormous factor is all that the government did to stoke demand with massive amounts of uh, spending. And some of that, you know, most of that happened before Biden came along. Most of it was at the height of the economic disruption and the pandemic. And then he slathered, you know, another $2 trillion on top of it when the economy was recovering. And clearly we didn't need that sort of support anymore. So that's stoked demand. So you get supply disruptions and a government that is suppressing supply in various ways through its anti business policies and anti oil and gas policies. And then you stoke demand. Well, that's just economics 101. Uh, you know, higher demand, less supply, higher prices. And so, that's where we are. And that's the fundamental dynamic he can't acknowledge. And what about this ultra MAGA term? What do you think about I mean, what poll, where was that poll tested? I mean, it must it must have been poll tested somewhere, right? But Rick Scott is not ultra MAGA. His agenda is not ultra MAGA. If that term has any meaning, you know, may, maybe it's someone, you know, protesting on January 6th. But I, I do think Rick Scott's tax plan politically is not a great idea. You know, you don't want to um, raise income taxes even by $5 on an American who currently isn't paying them. Uh, I just, uh, you know, he considers it a matter of principle that everyone should pay some income income taxes. I wouldn't do that, but it's also, it's, his, it's one person's idea. You know, it's, it's probably going nowhere. Where uh, next year Republicans take the uh, Congress, and and I admire Rick Scott, you know, actually trying to write down some stuff and think think through what the agenda would be. That's good, but there's no way they're making this election about Rick Scott. And and he he was a great governor of Florida. He was uh, he reached out to the middle. He he was a precursor of the gains Republicans have made with Hispanic voters the last couple of years because he really woke that uh, worked that vote. So the idea that you're going to make him a bogeyman that's going to turn the election is just it's crazy. Right. Um, couple of things here. Here's the president yesterday trying to blame the Trump tax cut on what's happening. Cut 12. When their top priority was the reckless two trillion dollar tax cut going majority of that going to the very wealthiest Americans, which ballooned the deficit and not a penny of it was paid for. Look, I know you got to be frustrated. I know. I can taste it. Frustrated by high prices, by gridlock in Congress, by the time it takes to get anything done. Believe me, I understand the frustration. Yeah, I don't know where where he's at with that, but he lost the prompter, I guess. 
Uh, and you see him stare straight ahead. Uh, so, by the way, that is not a $2 trillion tax cut for the rich. Nobody thinks that. They lost 1% on the top racket. That's it. Yeah, and, and the idea that that's responsible for any of our, our problems is absurd. You know, you can argue maybe that tax cut should have been smaller because um, we do have a, a deficit problem. But that's not, you know, that's not affecting what Biden's doing now. And, you know, on the one hand, it's it's they've recognized now that he needs to acknowledge the seriousness of the problem, you know, that the, the I can taste it thing. That's a little weird, but it's his way of saying, look, I feel your, your pain out there, but they don't have any solution. They're not, as we were just discussing, not honest about the diag- diagnosis, and there's just no way to explain this away. I mean, you're, you're an incumbent party, and, and there's a baby formula shortage. You're going to lose, okay? It's just like that's political science. It's just the basics. You're going to lose. There's nothing they can say to get around this. Before I pivot to Roe v. Wade, uh, we have Pennsylvania next Tuesday. Currently, the last last Fox News poll has uh, Oz with 22% of the vote, McCormick with 20% of the vote, and Barnett with 19% of the vote, uh, Sands, Bartos, 8 and 7. So what do you think the best – who would be the best – give the Republicans the best hope of keeping that seat in Pennsylvania? I think they both can win, uh, Oz and McCormick. I would tip towards McCormick because I think uh, Oz has some some vulnerabilities, Turk and, Turkish citizenship perhaps foremost among them. But that, that race, that's a coin toss race, and uh, it's, it's going to go down the wire. Obviously, uh, Trump's endorsement helps Oz, but it's not as clearly decisive as it was in Ohio. So that, that'll just be a fascinating one to watch next Tuesday. Yeah, I mean, it's probably the biggest one. And what do, what do you take from Trump's 47 primary wins? Well, the biggest one being J.D. Vance lost the governor of uh, the governor's race in, in Nebraska for the nomination. What's your take so far? What does it show you? Well, he... he um he, he can he can help and help a lot and be decisive in the right circumstances. As we talked about uh, last week, a week before, I forget, Ohio was, was just the right circumstances. Right guy, you know, sitting second, third place, needed a boost, um, kind of weak candidates above him, and uh, you can be the kingmaker. And Trump, that was a really shrewd endorsement. But Nebraska shows you just can't, you know, you can't spin gold out of, out of nothing, you know. So if you have a really flawed candidate, um, it, it, even, even Trump's endorsement isn't going to make a, make a difference. So let's go to Roe v. Wade. Uh, right now we're seeing regular protests outside the homes of the Supreme Court justices. Do you think the governor of Virginia should be doing more? Uh, that's a great question. I'm not sure exactly where the authority is, but uh, I, I think someone should be doing something to stop this. It's a violation of, of federal law uh, to in, intimidate people involved in a, a judicial decision making, and that's what this is. You know, it's a it's a legal case. Uh, so we, you know, if if uh, this is sort of Teflon Don kind of stuff, right? If if, if anyone else in any circumstance was trying to intimidate judges. <laughs> We wouldn't tolerate it. We wouldn't tolerate it. And it shouldn't be tolerated here. These streets should be barricaded. And any protester uh, trying to breach the barricade should be arrested forthwith. And I think that that probably would end these protests really quickly. But, you know, it's just shocking the the tepid um, response to this or non-response or uh, tacit endorsement, you know, from a lot of elected Democrats in the White House. Uh, we, we can't hear any more lectures about institutions and norms from these people when they, they want ju- Supreme Court justices to at least, at the very least, have in their head that maybe they should be afraid if they vote the wrong way on a, on a, a constitutional matter. That's just shocking and un-American. You write in the National Review 
that Scalia called this back in 1992. Bring it. Bring us there. Well, so in Casey, which was the case that upheld Roe in 1992, but also because Roe is just such a mess, it also just rewrote the whole thing on the fly uh, with no constitutional warrant. And the, the court said, look, you know, we're the decider on this, and we're going to, uh, using our, our awesome authority, we're going to tell people what they should believe about this, and everyone's going to salute smartly, and abortion's no longer going to be a uh, hot-button political and social and moral issue. And Scalia said, guys, you're crazy. You're crazy. This is exactly what the court tried to do in Dred Scott. You know, the political branches couldn't decide on slavery because it was such a, a deep moral divide in the country. And the court's like, okay, they can't do it. We're going to do it. And, of course, that didn't work out. It made the issue even more uh, fraught and intense. And Scalia said, you guys, you're doing exactly the same thing. And, and he was exactly right. Obviously, abortion – uh, contention over abortion wasn't ended in our politics, and then it, it's blown back on the court. And now I'm blown back on the court in a hideous way where it's like, you know, affected the inner sanctum of the Supreme Court and has probably changed that institution and how it works forever. So Scalia was absolutely right. Do you think we're going to get this leaker? No. Uh, I, you know, I think we'll, we'll get him or her two or three years from now when he or she writes a, a, an anonymous memoir and then slowly somehow comes out or reveals themselves you know, in, in an interview on CBS or something and gets a plumb position at a law school somewhere. But I, I don't think this person's getting hunted down in real time, uh, unfortunately. I just don't think the court has that capacity. Well, we'll see. Uh, I thought this Janet Yellen has been so disappointing. I thought she's going to be like a hard numbers woman coming from uh, where she was at the Fed. She is not. Pure politics, proofing case in point. Listen to what she said with Rick's uh, Tim Scott yesterday. Uh, if you do not know, Tim Scott's black uh, about abortion and the economy. Yeah, she sees a mix. Cut 34. Roe v. Wade and access to reproductive health care, including abortion, helped lead to increased labor force participation. Just for McClarity's pers- sake, did you say that ending the life of a child is good for the labor force participation rate? Uh, it means that children will grow up in poverty yeah. and do, do worse themselves. Thank and you. Let me, let me is, just explain my time harsh. on the topic. This is I, the truth. I'll just simply say that as a guy raised by a black woman in abject poverty, I'm thankful to be here. Mm. It, I mean, she's nah. like, save money, have an abortion. Yeah, I mean, that, that's powerful from, from Tim Scott. I mean, she, may, she might be right, but it's a hideous moral calculus, right? <laughs> is, uh, no, no economic factor is, is worth uh, taking an innocent life. And the idea that someone, because uh, some child is going to grow up in poverty, that child's life doesn't have worth and shouldn't be protected from the very beginning uh, to the very end is also hideous and, and good for Good for Tim Scott and nailing her to the wall on that. Absolutely. So, uh, Rich, it's going to be an exciting time. But overall, Roe v. Wade invigorates the more Democrats than Republicans. Would you agree with that? You know, that hasn't been the, the case in the, the past. Uh, the conservatives have been more motivated on, on abortion and on the courts. Maybe overturning Roe will change that. I just kind of think it's going to be less of a thermonuclear bomb than the left thinks. One, because we've had this leak and this kind of uh, acclimated people to the idea that it's going to be overturned. Two, yeah, it'll, it'll be a huge blow up when the court overturns it. Hopefully it, it, it does. And But then, you know, nothing's going to change in New York or California or Connecticut or Illinois. And the deepest blue states will still be um, abortionally totally unrestricted. Then you'll have red states where you'll have uh, – 
major restrictions or perhaps prohibitions that will be popular within the states. And then you'll have purple states kind of in between, and you'll have a massive effort by, you know, uh, liberal billionaires to try to get women, you know, in Mississippi or someplace where abortion is banned, to transport them someplace else where they can get an abortion. So I, I think it's it's going to settle out rather quickly. It might favor Democrats. It's certainly better than anything else they can talk about at the moment. But I would doubt it would change the fundamental dynamic of where we're heading in the midterms. All right. Uh, Rich Lowry, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Brian. You got All it. National hey, by the way, yeah. Steve Ducey's got like a safari out in his uh, driveway. That's oh, crazy. You're talking about the bear. You got a <laughs> bear, bear and a and raccoon. The raccoons and the deer. Right. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, uh, yeah. There it's, could be a monorail going by his house. And, people can see all the uh, wildlife. Yeah, and he, he also leaves a lot of leftovers. That's what attracts yeah. the bears. Uh, go get him, Rich. Thanks. When we come back, I'll take your calls, one 866 You can write me at briankillme.com. Just click on comments, and it'll come through on my email. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Sometimes I think President Biden just doesn't eat enough fiber. He, he, he said today, for example, as you pointed out, that he bears no responsibility whatsoever for inflation. Um, I think most Americans are thinking right. And Jimmy, Jimmy Hoffa died of natural causes. <laughs> Also, the stripper really likes you. I, I mean, look, here, here's, the, here's the truth. Um, the truth is that the Biden administration just keeps kicking its own ass. And blaming other people while doing it. Nobody says it better than Senator John Kennedy. And he just said it. I mean, here's an example of everything that Joe Biden's been blaming. Blaming everybody else as we look at... Uh, inflation 8.3% down from 8.5%, which is negligible. That we have the average gas prices at all-time highs. Uh, I think we're at 437 as the national average. Put another dollar fifty on that if you're in California. Last weekend, so it's 437 now. Last week it was 420. The week beat last month was 411. Last year was two dollars and ninety-six cents. And we thought that was getting crazy. Twenty-eight percent approve of his handling of inflation, but he just keeps pointing fingers. Cut one. Do you take any responsibility for inflation in this country? Do you take any responsibility for your policies? I think our policies help, not hurt. There are two leading causes of inflation we're seeing today. The first cause of inflation is a once-in-a-century pandemic. A second cause, Mr. Putin's war in Ukraine. You saw, we saw in March that 60% of inflation that month was due to price increases at the pump. So, Vladimir Putin's price hike. Let's blame Rick Scott's proposed tax hike. Let's blame the 2017 Trump tax reform. Let's bring gouging. Get this, oil and gas gouging. Are you kidding? And now you're trying you to, um, I think they're trying to take a page from Barack Obama. And here's what, do you remember what Obama did when his polls numbers were terrible? He was bailed out at his convention, got some momentum from Bill Clinton's wonderful speech there for Wonderful for Democrats. And they was able to get some momentum. But you know how he won? 
by making Mitt Romney unelectable, by showing everybody he's a rich white guy that doesn't like minorities, that cuts up businesses, and he's the reason why you're unemployed. And unemployment was a factor back then. So that's what they're trying to do now. Let's take the MAGA movement, not mention Trump, but mention the whole movement and make them the problem. Here's Larry Kudlow, Cut 16. All he did was play, you know, play the Biden blame game today. There's nothing new. He wants to continue to spend. He wants to continue to restrict fossil fuels of all kinds. Gasoline prices hit a record high. He also wants to continue to tax. He's also blaming. Every, I just love that he he blamed Putin. I, there's one in there. He blamed Rick Scott. He blamed what's it? Ultra MAGA. I don't know what that is, Sean. Maybe you can help me. Right. I mean, ultra MAGA is something they're trying to poll test. I, I actually don't even want to use it because it's totally synthetic. You know, if you are, uh, you know, if you're a member of the squad, you're a member of the squad. They, they love that label. If you're a way left, you're, they love that label. Rashida Tlaib and AOC and company, they love that label. But now he made up a label and is trying to stick it to MAGA people. He goes, MAGA, the biggest, the greatest extremist. Um, uh, organization that he's seen in his lifetime. Worse than the KKK, I, uh, perhaps worse than Antifa, uh, worse than the Civil War. This is the worst worst group. What you do when you're going to mobilize a whole bunch of people. So that that's really what Larry Kudlow was saying. He's an economist, and he's saying, wait, I want to talk numbers. And instead, you got to talk labels and marketing. They're marketing something when we're paying too much for something. So if you look at other things that Joe Biden's going to be doing today, is what they say. We are going to uh, get prices down by easing supply chain congestion. Please show me one thing that you've done besides take one dock and make them work 24 hours. But if the truck drivers aren't there, it doesn't matter. Cracking down on price gouging. Okay, can you tell me anybody that's been caught price gouging? Releasing oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve steadily. All right, that's, that sacrifices our security. And I don't really think he's done more than maybe take down a penny or two, and we've since lost that. Not much action. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I know it's only Wednesday, but get set for One Nation Saturday at 8. Fox News Show. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. All right, coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, heard around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show, the phone number 1-866-408-7669. We have a lot to discuss today, and uh, we're going to do it with uh, Gerard Baker in a matter of moments for the Wall Street Journal and Barry Pavel, who served as special assistant for defense policy under George W. Bush and Barack Obama, because we have this unfolding situation uh, in the Ukraine. And they're getting another $39 billion. Let's we'll see if the Senate... Uh, green lights that I'd like to know where the money's going. I'm fully in support of helping Ukraine, but I want to see the Europeans do something more too. And I want to see, uh, and I want to see where the money's going, getting it to Poland. Uh, not enough. Uh, I'd like to see exactly what's happening. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's big three. Number three. I do think that it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was, that was a mistake because it, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice. 
Yeah, Elon Musk, Trump back on Twitter. If Elon gets the platform, good or bad move, should the 45th president change his mind and join again? Number two. We otherwise continue to believe that President Putin would probably only authorize the use of nuclear weapons if he perceived an existential threat to the Russian state or regime. But we will remain vigilant in monitoring every aspect of Russia's strategic nuclear forces. That's Director of National Intelligence. That's Avril Haines. $40 billion and counting. As the House says yes to more money for Ukraine as Zelensky's forces push Russia out of Kharkiv. And Russia makes painful progress in the east. This, as the U.S. Intel says, Putin might be getting desperate. Number one. Do you take any responsibility in this country? Do you take any responsibility or policies? I think our policies help, not hurt. There are two leading causes of inflation we're seeing today. The first cause of inflation is a once-in-a-century pandemic. A second cause, Mr. Putin's war in Ukraine. Really? Okay. He has a third. It's going to make you even sicker. Uh, deflection on inflation. That's the game President Biden is playing with the number one problem in America. We're going to talk about his irresponsible approach and examine how we get through this crisis. And with me right now is Gerard Baker. Gerard, are you surprised the president used almost that whole presser just to blame other people? Uh, thanks, Brian. Uh, no, of course not. I mean, what, what else can he do right now? I mean, they don't have any policies to deal with inflation. Their policies are actually making inflation worse. They don't really have any kind of long term idea about how to deal, how to improve the state of the economy. So all they can do is try, you know, as he does all the time, try and blame other people, whether it's Vladimir Putin, Putin's price hike or apparently some. I, don't, I mean, I have to say how how he, how he managed to spend yesterday blaming Republicans who haven't even, you know, don't, who don't control any of the levers of federal power. He somehow managed to blame Republicans for the fact that we, we've got inflation at the moment. No, he doesn't. He, the, the, Brian, they don't have any they don't have any solution. They don't have a clue about what to do. So they just blame everybody else. I guess. I mean, to me, it reminds me when President Obama was poll ratings were low. He decided to make Mitt Romney unelectable, just attacked Mitt Romney instead of trumpeted his policies. So instead of trumpeting his policies, Joe Biden, he's just attacking what Republicans would do. I didn't know where this came from, but this to me is just desperate. Let's blame Rick Scott who has a 11-point plan if they got in power, which he would recommend. He's one of uh, he's one of 100 senators. Cut six. Their plan has actually made working families. It's going to make working families poorer. You don't have to take my word for it. It's in writing. They've made their intentions perfectly clear. Senator Rick Scott, Wisconsin, a member of the Senate Republican leadership, laid it all out in a plan. It's the ultra-MAGA agenda. Their plan is to raise taxes on 75 million American families, over 95% of whom make less than $100,000 a year total income. The average tax increase would be about $1,500 per family. They've got it backwards. So let's blame a, a guy who has an idea for what will happen if in November and they actually take power in January of 2023. That's effective yeah. leadership? It was it was it was cunning, though, wasn't it, Brian? Because because it, it, he referred to this mysterious person, Senator Rick Scott of Wisconsin, whoever, 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 right. whoever that I is. I never would check Wisconsin uh, for Rick Scott until now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, uh, absolutely. I mean, it, it's just it's just desperate. I mean, it is absolutely desperate. And you're right about the Mitt Romney. That's exactly what Obama did with Mitt Romney. Of course, it works. Uh, with Mitt Romney in 2012. I don't see it working this time, Brian, because, I mean, people are dealing with the daily reality of inflation. We saw these numbers this morning. But by the way, I think it's hilarious. You know, we've seen the, the consumer price indexes, consumer price index figures this morning for April. It was up 8.3 percent on a year ago. Now, that's down 
0.2 percentage points from a month ago and it's been from 8.5 and it's being heralded as well great you know inflation is easing you know the we've peaked things are getting better it's 8.3 percent which is by the way is much higher than was expected by economists they wanted 8.1 yeah way ahead prices are still running at a, at a pace of inflation way ahead of wages right so so wages are rising at about maybe four and a half five percent you've got people facing price increases you know we saw yesterday also the highest gas uh, gas prices this country has ever seen. So everybody know nobody nobody's going to blame Senator Rick Scott of Wisconsin for you know for the fact that inflation is higher higher than it's been in forty years. Nobody's going to blame the Republicans for the fact that gas prices at their highest level ever. They don't. They, 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 I, I, honestly, I, I think at times when I listen to Biden, I think. Do they really think we're that stupid? I mean, do they really think the and I think they do. That's the problem. I think it's I think it's implicit in the progressive mindset that they actually think people are stupid and they can tell them things that are obviously untrue because they're so stupid they'll just go along with it. It's not going to work. So he says uh, Fox poll says uh, they're not stupid. I guess only 28 percent approve of the way Biden handles inflation when it comes to gas. Uh, as of this week, four dollars and thirty-seven cents. Last week, four dollars and twenty cents. Last month, four dollars and eleven cents. And there's some place in California uh, where it's around seven dollars, which is unbelievable. You know, I thought it was interesting that uh, you have the Wall Street Journal today write about the Costanza effect. Joe Biden, you know, do the opposite, and yeah. they basically whatever your instincts say to do, do the opposite. And I think you built off this episode. Every decision I've ever made in my entire life. Has been wrong. I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> yes. I will do the opposite. I used to sit here and do nothing and regret it for the rest of the day. So now I will do the opposite and I will do something. So that's really the premise that you guys built your uh, editorial on this week. Today. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's 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 it, it, it's exactly. I mean, honestly, you, you know, we, Brian, you and I are old enough. We've seen politics and we know politicians make mistakes and they get things wrong sure. and they say silly things and, and whatever. I can't recall an administration that that that, that well, we, we can set aside Ukraine. You started you, you started this segment talking about a little bit about Ukraine. I think they're not doing a bad job in Ukraine, but on all the domestic issues on inflation, on immigration, on crime, on the culture, on the budget. Uh, on the state of the, uh, you know, on, on every, every, you know, on, on education, anything, anything they, anything they bring themselves to, they get, they get wrong. So that, I mean, that, that is the Costanza effect. It is, you know, and I do think again, I think the American people see that, that like they, they see, they want to try something different because it couldn't possibly get any worse than it is right now. So right, Dad, he said one of the things he says, uh, we should really try to pass Build Back Better. Really? Uh, they said we could, you should stop subsidizing. Wind and solar, that might be a good start. And when it comes to energy, start greenlighting. Instead of saying, I have uh, 9,000 leases that are unused, ask them why they're not being used. When you ask them, they tell you because there's too many regulations and restrictions around them. It's too costly, and it doesn't make any sense knowing that fossil fuels are in the rearview mirror of this administration. So he still throws things out just for political gain in the middle of a crisis. Yeah. No, it, it, that's that's where they are, and 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 again, they don't. You know, they are so out of touch with, I think, with the way people, with what, what, with people's concern, daily concerns, and whether it's inflation, and talking about who's who's to blame for inflation, not them, or whether it's the, you know, the crisis at the border, uh, the, or whether it's crime. People in their daily lives, Brian, are dealing with these challenges, and you have an administration that just doesn't seem to 
just 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 doesn't get it. And I think that, you know, I, th I think, look, I, I, we, we're six months away now, less than six months away from the midterms. We're going to see what happens. By the way, I was going to say, even some of the, you know, you talk about build back better, bring back, build back better. Even their own parties, they, they have fortunately some sensible senators in their own party. Joe Manchin and Kiss and Cinema, particularly, who actually killed Build Back Better. So, what do they think they're going to do? They, they don't want it. It was too big. It was expensive. It was a waste of money. It was going to add to the deficit, which would also, by the way, be inflationary. And so they killed it. So, what? They, so, what's their response? Oh, we need. You know, we, we want to bring it back. We want more of it. it it's. It's. Um. You know, it is. Uh, it is. It is a. It's. It's. A, it's a government. You know, there was a. There's a famous poem by an English poet years ago who talked about rulers who neither see nor feel nor know. And I think kind of that's who these people are. They don't see, they don't feel, they don't know that we are, we, we, you know, we're led by people really who, who are committed to their own ideological agenda, who have contempt, honestly, for most people. And they think they're too stupid to understand what's going on. And so they just plow ahead with their own program. And fortunately, it will come to an end in like five months. Yeah, um, a couple of things. Uh, come to mind. Number one, if it, it could come to an end in about five months, but then the president's going to have to work with other people, or he could sit there and say, I'm just going to play this out for two more years and just sit there, compare and contrast his policies to others. Because right now he doesn't have to deal with Republicans for the most part. He'd like to get 10 votes, but he doesn't have to. So he digs out Rick Scott's plan from Wisconsin, as you mentioned. But I want to bring you, if I can, pivot over to Ukraine for a second. Within the conservative movement, there's some people that are very uneasy about uh, us doubling and tripling down with weapons into Ukraine. I'm not one of them, but I would like accountability as we're about to give $39 billion over to them and another $115 million on a regular basis while everything we just discussed is happening here at home. Tell me how many people you think Jim Jordan speaks for when he says this. Cut 24. I understand people's intentions. I understand how bad the situation is for the Ukrainian people, what they're going through, and why some of my colleagues may have went that way. But I also understand what's happening here in this country with record levels of crime, a border that's wide open, attorney general who tweets the very, treats the very moms and dads you were talking to as if they were domestic terrorists. And what have the Democrats done in the last two weeks? Last week, they, they give us the disinformation governance board and, and come after our First Amendment liberties. And this week, they spend $40 billion on a foreign country. So that's the concern that I have, and I think so many Americans have. I voted for all kinds of help for Ukraine thus far. But this bill, we said, no, look, we got to focus on the issues that count here in America that matter to American families and also help Ukraine, but do it in a way that makes more sense than I think this piece of legislation did, uh, particularly with the fact that we only had a few hours to look at it, for goodness it sake. Does Jim Jordan have a point? I think he does. Look, like you, Brian, I'm totally supportive of Ukraine. I'm totally with the Ukrainian people. I'm in awe of the courage that they've shown. And I think, frankly, if we can help them defeat the Russians, that will only be a good thing. But I do, I, you know, I have some sympathy with that view that, 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 you know, we have a lot of problems at home, particularly this this cost of living crisis that people are going through, as I say, with inflation so high and wages rising nothing like as fast. It does seem a little, it does seem, it is, I think it is starting to seem to some people, and I think Jim Jordan does speak for a lot of people, who say, look, I may, just as he said, look, I support Ukraine, I support, I, 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 want, I want them to win, I want to help them, we've given them some help, help, but $40 billion, and by the way, especially, and I think you raised this point earlier, Brian, what are the Europeans doing? The European, you know what the Europeans, I'll tell you what the Europeans are doing, they're still buying billions of dollars a week in Russian gas. Now, admittedly, OK, they've said they're going to, you know, they're going to wean themselves off that gas over the next you know, year or so. They're going to try and reduce their dependency on, on, on Russian gas. But that's what that's the reality. So while we're spending 40 billion dollars to help Ukrainians fight the Russians, the Europeans are spending way more than that to help the Russians fight the Ukrainians. I mean, I know, OK, not they're not giving direct military aid, but they are, as a matter of fact, giving them 
paying for that gas, which yeah. they supposedly need. And so I think I think there I think I I I, I sympathise with the sentiment that Jim Jordan uh, expresses. I think the way to do it is to say to the Europeans. Get serious about this. You know, I know you, but you, I know you, but the British, by the way, I should say a good word for the British, my old country, they've done a tremendous amount. But the other, the rest of them, the Germans, the Germans, it dragged their feet. They didn't really want to send any aid. It took them months and months to actually finally agree to send them aid. And then now they're, now they're backtracking again. They don't, they don't want to do it. Germany is an extremely rich country. It's got a budget deficit as much smaller than the, than the US budget deficit. It's got the, it's right there in Europe. It's got the ability to send more help, more assistance. Um, to to the ukrainians and it's really not doing enough and as i say on top of all that they're spending all this money on russian oil and gas so you know let let the europeans do a bit more pressure the europeans to do a bit more even as we do what we can to help the ukrainians fight the russians yeah i did not know germany was backing out but i did find this interesting is that the ukrainians natural uh natural gas grid operator said on tuesday that it would stop transporting russian gas through the eastern border entry called whatever it is, it's unpronounceable, raising fears of a cutoff of flows into Europe. So it flows through the Ukraine, not the Nord Stream 1, but this one does. And they're going to stop, gonna stop uh, allowing natural gas to come through. So that's going to be interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And again, that's, look, that Russian, Russian energy, for, for, for 20 years, European governments have connived at Russian power by sending the money. It's, it's worse than that in the case of Germany, as we famously know, the former chancellor of Germany, Gerhard Schroeder, who was a chancellor of Germany, actually sits on the board of Gazprom. He's making himself personally millions of dollars a year from uh, working for Vladimir Putin's uh, energy companies. The Europeans are completely tied into uh, the Russian energy market in a way that makes them completely dependent on it. And that's... You know that's that's the problem here. That and the, by the way, that's it, that that not only are they continuing to pl- supply those funds that, that Vladimir Putin uh, needs, they have create they've helped create this. And I do think that again, uh, look, uh, just to repeat, I think the Ukrainians are. Uh, I'm, I'm totally with the Ukrainians. I don't go along with these people, especially some of these conservatives who say, "Oh, the Ukrainians are all Nazis and all this kind of stuff, and we shouldn't support them." They're not. They're fighting the Russians. If we can defeat, help them defeat the Russians, it will be great, not just for them, but for the rest of the world. But it's really it is it is a lot to expect Americans. Once again, to shoulder the most of the burden for this, and I think it's time that that that, that, that other countries stepped up. Absolutely, yeah, I thought they got their message. Uh, so thanks so much, uh, Gerard Baker. Appreciate it. Wall Street thanks, Journal, uh, editor at large. Uh, the Costanza effect. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. When we come back, I'll take some calls. We'll talk more about what's happening in Ukraine. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I do think that uh, uh, it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was, that was a mistake um, because it, uh, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice. Yeah, there you go. Uh, that is Elon Musk saying, Trump, come on back if I get it. Now, the thing is, these big business guys will tell you he bought it at $54 a share roughly and some change, and now it's at 46 And then he's worried about Tesla. He was taking some of that stock and using that to buy this. And Tesla stock has dropped. So would that stop him from, from getting Twitter? I don't know. Unless he has second thoughts, I don't think so. Eric, listen on KFTK on 97.1. Hey, Eric. Hey, good morning, Brian. You said the magic word earlier. You said refunds. 
we don't need the great congressman from Wisconsin to tax people. We need to stop a multi-billion-dollar-a-year giveaway of giving refunds, as they quote them, to people who haven't paid in a dime. Yeah, I mean, or— Hundreds and hundreds and—go ahead, please. Or welfare. or, or they, that, That's what Rick Scott's point was. He said, just get people working. I don't care how good the job is. There's 7 million open jobs. 11, you know, there's 7 million people without jobs and 11 million jobs. How come we can't get some of them into these jobs? That's what his point was. And that's what Joe Biden says. How dare you look to tax people, uh, working class people, and not the rich, which is just mind boggling uh, and selfish. When we come back, we talk a little about the war in Ukraine, and then I'll finish up with more of your calls. I think Trump should go back, but not quite yet. Not quite yet, because he's got to get Truth Social up and running. I'm on it already. Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. General, what's your assessment on the state of the fighting between Russia and Ukraine and eastern and southern Ukraine today? Senator, I think I, think, uh, I would characterize it as... Um, the Russians aren't winning, and the Ukrainians aren't winning, and we're, we're at a bit of a stalemate here. If Russia doesn't declare war and mobilize, the stalemate's going to last for a while, and I don't see a breakout on either side. If they do mobilize uh, and they do declare war, that'll bring thousands of more uh, soldiers to the fight, and even though they may not be as well-trained uh, and competent, they will still bring uh, mass and a lot more ammunition. Uh, that is Lieutenant General Scott uh, Barrier. He is the director of the, of the DIA, the Defense Intelligence Agency, uh, and he was answering Tom Cotton. Joining us now to discuss this uh, from the tactical level, Barry Pavel. Uh, so Pavel, he serves as the special assistant for defense policy and strategy on the National Security Council for Presidents George W. Bush and President Obama. Uh, Barry, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, Barry, do you call this a standoff, too? It's a standoff until it isn't, and that was a safe answer from um, a very from the Defense Intelligence Agency. But but it's hard to tell. The Ukrainians are making a lot of progress around Kharkiv. They're really pushing the Russians back. They're getting closer to the international border between Russia and Ukraine. Um, there is a lot, you know. Overall, it's a stalemate, but you don't know what's going to happen when there's a breakthrough in, in one or more of the different. Uh, concentrated areas of the fight right now. There's a there's a problem uh, with the Russians. They say, okay, this is a war, and we're going to have a national draft. It takes a while. You got to draft them. You got to train them. You got to train the trainers to train them. And are they going to be able to hold out that long? And at what cost? And could the public sentiment turn against this operation? So those are good questions. Um, I'll answer the last one first because I I mean just my understanding of the Russian information environment. It's completely dominated by propaganda. And so I don't see, I'm not one of those who sees a threat to uh, Putin until the casualties start piling up so much that uh, the mothers, you know, and others are just decide this is, this is crazy, no matter what the national interests are um, at stake. I think ultimately this is a, a competition between Russian numbers and Ukrainian quality of military um, capability. And the reason I, and, and the only way that happens is you know, the enormous amount of aid and training and equipment that is coming from the United States and NATO allies. So that, I, I think that means ultimately that um, I, I like quality um, and I don't see, you know, fresh Russian conscripts being pushed into the front 
that's just going to be cannon fodder, which is really tragic and sad. So I, I think um, that this is going to be, um, you know, it's really up to Putin. I mean, if Ukraine keeps pushing them back, um, what 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 is he going to do? When will he declare victory? And let me just end on that point. He controls the information environment in Russia. He could declare victory with whatever narrative he wants today, next month, next year, in 2030. It is up to him. Right. So uh, that, in some ways, yeah. that is to uh, to our advantage because even if he's losing, he can say he won. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, So the Russian defense ministry said that its forces in eastern Ukraine had advanced to the border of Donetsk and Luhansk, the two Russian-speaking provinces where Moscow-backed separatists have been fighting for about eight years. So they are asserting themselves. And yesterday, I think they hit seven missiles into Odessa. And they've already locked up that port and blockaded that port. So I worry about the east just being uh, slowly suffocated. And, of course, when you can't get the grain out, uh, places like Africa suffer. You got it. You got it. No, there's enormous global implications at the geopolitical level in terms of food security, in terms of energy security. You got that. It's really a problem. And even for Europe to sustain the sanctions we just saw today, Hungary's playing uh, a bit of a spoiler role uh, because of the closeness of that leader, relative closeness of that leader to um uh, to Putin, but I, you know, I don't see enormous, noteworthy Russian advances over the last several days at all in the east. But that is where the worry should be. That is where most of the forces are fighting. The Russians are going to have to divert forces to Kharkiv in the northeast um, to be able to stop the Ukrainian counteroffensive from proceeding all the way to the border. Um, they they have hit Odessa with missiles. It's it's really a humanitarian nightmare. That they keep hitting uh, uh, targets in in a you know in a city like that, um, but I don't see them having the capability to advance with forces along the coastline and connect uh, Crimea uh, and 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 take the entire Ukrainian coast. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Might it happen in three months, six months, maybe? But they they got their hands full in the east and the northeast. So the uh, top U.S. spy uh, says that Vladimir Putin has a drastic secret plan to win the war. That's according to the U.S. Uh, intelligence agency. He's prepared to dig his heels in to uh, over the war in Ukraine and let it drag out for some time. And along the way, he might resort to extreme measures. What do you think those extreme measures might be? Yeah, so I'm not one of those. I mean, so, you know, there's a lot of discussion of nuclear Use of nuclear weapons, I think that chances of that are between one and, you know, three percent. I do not. He respects nuclear power. He respects NATO's and the U.S.'s deterrent. He doesn't want to bring NATO into this, you know, fully. He doesn't want the full power of the United States and more of the world against him. So that is very unlikely. Chemical weapons use, probably likely. He used them in Syria. Um, You know, other uh, types of escalation, just, you know, which, but I, it's hard to figure out how or why. Um, I, I just think um, he will drag this out. I think that's right. My best guess, and it's a guess on the scenario, is at a certain point he'll just keep things the way they are. He likes what are called frozen conflicts. It keeps countries that are between NATO and Russia out of NATO and out of the EU. Uh, and he, so he's done that in Georgia. He's done that in Moldova. Um, so my guess is he'll he will dig in. This could last a while. Uh, the hostilities might um, kind of simmer, 
And then who knows? Maybe once he's come up with a better plan, he'll he'll relaunch an operation to take all of uh, eastern Ukraine. I don't think he's got the capability to take the whole country. But six months from now, tw- you know, twelve months from now, I think that is the stuff. That is my best guess. On, we, we've uh, given on billions. Strategy. We've given billions. We're about to give almost forty billion uh, to him again, and then one hundred fifteen million in emergency funds. Can we keep this going for six months at this rate? Well, I mean, it's an intensive battle, and let me just really make an important point. This is our fight, U.S. In other words, if Putin wins, if he takes over half of Ukraine, if he takes over all of Ukraine, that is very bad for the United States because that means our defense budget is going to skyrocket to deal with um, basically, in essence, a new Cold War where an Iron Curtain has descended. It's just descended in a different place. Because they they have the natural resources too, right? That's, a, that's, that's the that? natural resources in the region, too. Then if Russia natural becomes more formidable, bread, coal, iron. Yep, uh, you're right. And so that's a, that is no doubt part of the prize he's seeking. Um, but I, I, I just want to make sure my view is this is not humanitarian. We're not being nice to Ukrainians. This is really in U.S. national security interest to keep this going. Two things, to, Barry. To keep the Ukrainian fight going. Uh, two things. How could intelligence be so wrong and say they're going to fall in 72 hours? Uh, that was just the conventional wisdom. And how could they be overestimating the Russians for so long? I was talking to Mark Esper today. He's like, we had no idea they were that, uh, they were that vulnerable, that susceptible, that inept. Hopefully, there will be hearings that will dive into the details of this. We are we in the national security community, including the intelligence community, are very good at getting a lot of things wrong. We're very good at being surprised. We we were surprised by 9/11. We were surprised that Putin decided to actually invade. Many people were saying he's not going to invade. He's just moving those forces around. I was actually one of those who said he is invading. You don't move blood supplies to the border if you're not going to actually. You know, have a uh, go into a real fight. So you raise very important and good questions. Uh, I think we need to do a much better job of our intelligence and of our policy. Let me just sort of talk to the pattern here. People say Putin's irrational. Okay, he took part of Georgia in 2008. No one really did anything. He takes Crimea in 2014. Not much. A slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. He takes the you know some of the Donbass in 2014. Not much of a re- response. So it's irrational for him to say six years later, eight years later, okay, I'm going to take the whole thing. No one's going to do anything anyway. Uh, So um, he uh, obviously got a lot of things wrong himself, and uh, intelligence officials and military officials in Russia will pay a heavy price uh, for that, probably with their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, But but we do need to get to the bottom of how we are often just really not – don't have a good handle on – Um, certain aspects. I do want to give the intelligence community credit, though. In last fall, they were saying he's going to invade, and they were right. And the Biden administration did a good job of sharing intelligence and convincing allies this is going to happen, and we need to start preparing uh, for when it does. So we want to give a little credit, but also I agree with your overall point. We do get a lot of things wrong, too. Yeah, I'm just uh, very curious to see what happens from here. Would you be greenlighting Sweden and Finland into NATO? 100 percent. You'll hear um, a formal application tomorrow from Finland. Um, The Swedes will be days behind, not many days. Um, Parliaments will move very quickly to approve them, and the U.S. Senate will have a debate. Uh, I think it should be a, a, a good debate. 
I think it's important to weigh the issues. But to me, it's it's a no-brainer. These are these are enormous mm. um, security contributors. They're not free riders. They're gonna they're gonna add right. a lot to NATO and make the U.S. and NATO stronger. You surprised that Macron came out and said it's going to be a long time before the EU accepts Ukraine. Yeah, I don't quite understand that. Um, I, I don't think that's necessarily helpful. I thought um, the, the EU president, von der Leyen, had the right uh, approach, saying we're going to fast-track this, um, I think she said, uh, a few weeks ago. So that's not um, morale-enhancing. <laughs> yeah, it makes no and sense. I think we need to, it doesn't make much sense to me. Uh, I think we need to move quickly. You know, anybody who says anything about provoking Putin while he's invading a, a, a country and killing uh, hundreds and thousands of innocent civilians. That, that doesn't work for me, that argument. All right. Uh, Barry P- Pavel, thanks so much, Barry. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. one 866 We'll talk about that. Also, this Pennsylvania race is really intriguing. It's six days away. It's Dr. Oz, good friend of the show. Dave McCormick's been on, too. Uh, and we, we are seeing a very tight race. Really, it's a three-headed race. Catherine Barnett, too. Uh, is doing well in Pennsylvania. And you got to wonder if whoever emerges, are they a favorite to hold that Pat Toomey seat? Brian Kilmeade Show, don't move. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. And you justifiably right, we control all three branches of the government. Well, we don't really. We have 50-50 in the Senate. You need 60 votes to get major things done. I've been pushing the things I've been proposing here and you've heard me speak to today since I got in office. And I, have, I need to get 60 votes to be able to even pass them. So Joe Biden says, uh, just because I have the Senate and the House and the White House, I need 60 votes. Yeah, but there's other stuff you could do. And you had that bipartisan bill and there's other things you might be able to get done. But going out and saying ultra MAGA movement, the most extreme movement ever, is not going to win people over to your side. I would not think. Uh, Caleb, listen on WOKV. Hey, Caleb, in Jacksonville, Florida. Good morning, Mr. Brown. What's in your mind? Uh, yes, sir. I've just kind of, uh, as I've been listening, it seems to have somehow been missed by a lot of folks, but uh, they've kind of taken Biden's lead, and as he tends to be uh, mistaken, uh, he keeps referring to Rick Scott as this Wisconsin senator, but this is the same former governor of Florida, uh, Rick Scott, and current senator of Florida, Rick Scott, and uh, I believe Mr. Scott has got a a pretty good track record uh, fiscally in the state of Florida. He's uh, he's a well-respected um, politician, and he has a lot of good ideas. Uh, I don't always agree with everything, but um, uh, for the most part, I think uh, Mr. Scott's done a pretty good job, and people would take note to notice not only where he's from so they could get a, a better representation of, of his policies and his ideas and, and not just discard, disregard him as you know, some Wisconsin standards. Uh, no disrespect to anybody yeah. in Wisconsin, but I think um, – Oh, I yeah, he just screwed up. Record here I Florida. mean, that was a terrible press conference by the president. He was totally lost most of the time. David, listen in Colorado. Hey, David. Hey, sir. Hey, sir. How are you doing? Great. What's in um, your mind? I was just wanting – I was just wanting to say about the um, the lease, the oil leases you keep talking about. That's not. There's a huge story behind that that no one's talking about. Which is? Um, 
the Biden administration snuck in a carbon tax in the, right when they right when they came into office, and you see all these oil these gasoline tankers that are traveling around. Well, they have to get the refinery in your state, and that state is being carbon taxed, and it can only produce so much gasoline a month. It's like having a cow that can produce a thousand gallons a month, and now it can only produce about two hundred because it's being taxed. They don't shut the refineries down. They just keep them idle until the month rolls over, and then they end. And that's how they're that's how they're getting us. It's the carbon tax. Where are you? What do you do for a living? I drive a truck. So you got you, but you um, talk to these guys, tank. yeah. And the truck driver. And how much are you yeah. paying for diesel, by the way? Um, you know, like Jay Leno said, if you gotta look how much uh, gasoline is, or ask how much gasoline is. Uh, you can't afford it to it, you know. But the, the thing is, they um, the the guys that are driving these um, gasoline tankers around your state, they took the regulations off of them because they can drive as much as they want in a day. Okay, uh, I understand that. We're worried about the drivers, uh, David. Thank you. Appreciate what you do about what's wrong with the economy. Stephen Moore weighed in uh, last night with Shannon uh, Bream. Cut fifteen. And I just want to remind the viewers that when Donald Trump left office, the economy was actually in a, at a really nice recovery back in early uh, 2021. And the inflation rate back then, Shannon, was 1.5 or 1.6 percent. So how did we go from 1.5 to 1.6 percent to 8.5 percent in 15 months? And I think it's a result of these trillions of dollars of spending. And I want to just reiterate this point. If you look at everything that Biden was talking about today, more child care subsidies, elder subsidies, more subsidies for agriculture, more green energy subsidies, electric vehicles. That's just going to pile more money in the economy. Yeah, that is uh, true. Uh, People have their own agenda, and that's the issue. And it's the green agenda. It's the wind. It's the solar. It's the subsidies uh, for all that. And that's just it. If you really want to get stuff done, you stare down your left, which would be Ron Klain leads him, your your, your, uh, chief of staff, and you just got to say, listen, we're going to be doing this for the next year and a half. And by the way, you could do it for selfish reasons. You could say, look, you, you guys, we're not going to win as a party a single election unless I ever find a way to get inflation under control. My goodness, there's no baby formula in this country. You struggle once in a while to find issues that are universal that everyone feels and understands. You found that with inflation. And then baby formula, parents, grandparents, can't. Re- if you didn't actually get baby formula, you know what it's like to hunt for it. And now you've got to struggle to get it. And then what are you supposed to do, especially if your kid's got some sensitive stomach and there's certain, uh, there's certain things that they could only have? So if it's not existent, you're supposed to give something to the kid that is going to cause him or her great pain? Not a positive. Not a positive at all. For the administration, I think they're in trouble on this messaging. And I think they're going to double and triple down today and talk about uh, how the Putin price hike is affecting farmers as they land in Illinois. Putin price hike. Just tell me what you're going to do for the farmers. Don't tell me who's to blame that we can't get this wheat out. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Don't waste a minute. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here. Got Kevin Hassett queued up, ready to go to defend his record because the president of the United States says, acting like Donald Trump was still president yesterday. 
As you know, he seems to have a problem with uh, taking responsibility for anything. We saw that on display. And they're also going to speak to Batya Unger uh, Sarsan, uh, Sargon, I should say, of Newsweek. And she's been on with us before. i got to get her take on what's going on with Elon Musk. Also, what's going on with um, uh, not only with Elon Musk, but with President Trump and Truth Social and things to that nature. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVact. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVact.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. I do think that it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was, that was a mistake because it, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice. Yeah, you think so? I'm pretty sure that's right. Uh, Trump back on Twitter if Elon Musk gets his way. But if he does get his way and does invite him back, will the president say yes? Should he say yes? Number two. We otherwise continue to believe that President Putin would probably only authorize the use of nuclear weapons if he perceived an existential threat to the Russian state or regime. But we will remain vigilant in monitoring every aspect of Russia's strategic nuclear forces. Yeah, I guess so. Avril Haines, a DNI director, $40 billion and counting. That's the House says yes to even more than President uh, Biden wanted. Now it's going to go to the Senate. Uh, Zelensky's force is doing quite well. But the Russians are having painful progress in the east. This is U.S. Intel says Vladimir Putin will double and triple down in order to win. Number one. Do you take any responsibility for inflation in this country? Do you take any responsibility for your policies? I think our policies help, not hurt. There are two (laughs) leading causes of inflation we're seeing today. The first cause of inflation is a a once-in-a-century pandemic. A second cause, Mr. Putin's war in Ukraine. Okay, he's got a third, too, and you're not going to believe who deserves that deflection. The deflection on inflation, that's the game President Biden is playing with the number one problem in America today. We're going to talk about his irresponsible approach and examine how we get uh, and got to this crisis point. Kevin? Uh, Hass is with us now, National, Re- National Review, uh, Capital Matters Senior Advisor, former chairman of the President's Council of Economic Advisors, came a couple of times back to the Trump administration. Kevin, you have to defend your record now. Your 2017 <laughs> tax hike, they said it was a tax hike, um, excuse me, your tax cut uh, added to the deficit and only helped the wealthy. That according to President uh, Biden. Yeah, well, well, if that were true, then why is it that wages for the bottom 10 percent of Americans grew faster than for any other decile? And income inequality dropped sharply, and the average American family gained $6,600 in extra income after the tax cuts. And so, you know, all the all the numbers are well known. And, and I had a piece in, in the journal this week with Tyra Goodspeed um, on Monday that folks could go look up if they want to run through all the facts. But yeah, the the thing that's crazy about Biden is that he's doing all this stuff to attack supply. If you look at the data, multinationals, and something I mentioned in the journal, are fleeing the country again because they're being threatened with all these heavy regulations and higher taxes. Uh, small business sentiment is the worst we've seen since World War II uh, because, again, they're getting just crushed by government reg- regulators. You know, Biden came in and he said, hey, regulators, you can ha- you can pass whatever regulations you want. And like in the old uh, world, you had to, a regulation had to pass a cost-benefit test, so you had to prove it helped America. Yeah. He withdrew that with an executive order. So basically, people could just write regulations like crazy. His climate are just bragged that they have a thousand, a thousand, I mean, a hundred new regulations for appliances. Can you imagine a hundred. 
you know, so your toaster is going to take eight, eight months to, to toast your toast, right? But it'll save energy. But in any case, you know, Biden saying that his policies have nothing to do with inflation, it's just crazy. He's attacking supply, and inflation happens when there's more demand than there is supply, and he's doing nothing to help supply. And he said he's focused like a laser on the inflation problem, but then he didn't actually have anything to do, right? I mean, so, yeah. <laughs> so I guess the laser's just pointed into outer space. Uh, it, it's really, really sad. And, 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 you know, you can see it in the numbers today. Uh, I, I know it's really hard to look at, you know, something like the consumer price index that comes out, and everybody's always talking about the numbers over 12 months. But here's the way to think about it. If you look at the average rate of inflation in America over the last three months, uh, according to today's number, it's basically almost exactly 10%. Almost exactly 10%. If you look at the average over the last six months, it was 9%. Okay, so so therefore, it's gone from 9% to 10%. So inflation is accelerating, not decelerating. And, mm-hmm. and that's why markets have been in turmoil today. But in any case, they're accelerating. Inflation is accelerating because of Biden's terrible policies. Well, I mean, that's what he says. He says these are the causes. Let's listen. Cut to. The first cause of inflation is a once-in-a-century pandemic. Not only did it shut down our global economy, it threw the supply chains and demand completely out of whack, especially in countries where more effective recovery responses uh, uh, weren't available, especially in those sectors that rely on semiconductors. And this year, we have a second cause, a second cause, Mr. Putin's war in Ukraine. You saw, we saw in March that 60 percent of inflation that month was due to price increases at the pump for gasoline. Putin's war has raised food prices as well, because Ukraine and Russia, two of the world's major breadbaskets for wheat and corn, are essentially completely stalled. So, uh, and what he's doing about it, he says he's unstucking the, uh, unsticking the <laughs> supply chain. Uh, he says he's cracking down on people gouging when it comes to energy. So what do you think about how what his assessment is and what he's doing? Right. Well, well, you know, he did mention some things that you know, like cer- certainly uh, the Ukraine war has disrupted global energy markets and that's led to a higher price of oil for sure. But there are a lot of things that could have offset that, which haven't because of Biden's terrible policies. And so, you know, to put the COVID argument in perspective, that, you know, when Biden took office, the inflation rate was like about one and a half percent. And, you know, now it's 10 percent. And, you know, President Trump and, and I was in the White House back then mentioned that I went back in and Larry Kudlow and Stephen Mnuchin and President Trump and I designed stimulus packages that remember we did like five in one year. We did it a little bit at a time because what we wanted to do was see what the harm to the economy was and then offset it. And so when Biden took office, we had basically dug a hole with the shutdowns, and then we had filled the hole back up, and we were back to a recovery. We had a V-shaped recovery and no inflation. And then what he did is he used the excuse of COVID to pass these massive big government spending bills, which lit inflation on fire. And so his idea that it was COVID, no, no. Like the only way it's COVID is that he used COVID as an excuse to like put the Democratic wish list to force it through Congress, you know, in the guise of a COVID relief. So, Kevin, if I said, Uh, hey, but but that wasn't right. Uh, So if I said, Kevin, help me out, Kevin Hassett, help me out with the economy now. What could you do? What would name three things you would do right now? Right. Well, so what what we need to do is we need to, uh, one, a lot of the Trump tax cuts are uh, being phased out. 
uh, and because it was like the stupid budget rules, you know, the, yeah. they couldn't make the tax cuts permanent. And so they should make the tax cuts permanent. And if they do that, then that'll make uh, U.S. corporations that are starting to flee and build factories. How many years until they go up? Again. How many years until uh, it starts? It starts next year. It, it goes down uh, basically 20 percent a year starting next year. So it's phased down. And so they, they got to make those things permanent. Uh, and, and since since the tax cuts are on the corporate side are, are going away, most of them, then basically all of the rush to build factories in the U.S. that happened right after the tax cuts has stopped and reversed because people think Biden is really going to do that. So that's the big one. Thing two is he should abandon his uh, Build Back Better policies uh, and, and announce that he's going to do that. I think people are still fearful that those are going to happen. But, you know, basically Biden – uh, since he's been in office, has been paying people not to work. And so labor force participation right now is still way below where it was before the pandemic. Uh, yeah. And and so, right. so it hasn't recovered at all. So we don't have labor supply. We don't have capital. And if you don't have labor supply, you don't have capital, then you're, you don't have supply. And so therefore, you're going to have inflation. And so he keeps calling it a supply disruption. But a disruption suggests that there's like a crash on the bridge. You're going to clear the crash away, and then everybody will start moving again. That's not what's going on. What's going on is that we're headed towards a, like a worse long-run equilibrium because of his terrible policies, and it's not a temporary thing at all. It's a permanent thing, at least until Republicans get in there and reverse the policies. Yeah, let's see if they can do that and uh, see if that indeed would, would take place. How do you feel about Rick Scott coming out with his 11-point plan, one of which says we got to get that 50 percent that's not paying any tax we got to get them paying, uh, put some skin in the game. And he essentially means that through getting them a job. So do you think it's good politics or is it good economics? Either or. Yeah, it, it is. Well, you, you know, it, it, I'm not a politician. I'm an economist. And, so, and, and you know politics better than anybody. So I'll give the economic answer that you tell me about the politics. But the fact is that uh, what we focused on, uh, in the Trump administration was getting the marginal person who who hadn't had a job in a long time connect reconnected to society and we did it uh, we remember we had this uh, task force that basically talked a whole bunch of companies into uh, giving apprenticeships to young people and created 16 million apprenticeships. We uh, brought education programs back into the prisons so that when prisoners leave prison, that they actually have the skills they need to get a job. We changed occupational licensing rules for military spouses. There are almost a million of them that are unemployed because when their spouse moves from state to state, then like they, their nursing uh, uh, certification doesn't move with it, right? You have, each state has a different one. And so we, we changed those things. And of course, we have the big macro policies as well. And what that did is it increased labor force participation strikingly. You know, and everybody thought it was impossible that that would reverse. It was a down, on a downtrend, straight downtrend under Biden and, and Obama. And, and we reversed it to the shock of everybody. And we did it with all of these policies. And so if Biden renews those policies, then, you know, labor supply will pick back up. Uh, and then workers will you know, be going to work and producing stuff and prices will go down or inflation will go down. But if he doesn't do any of that stuff, which he's not going to, at least until Republicans are in Congress, then the only game in town is the Fed. And the history of Fed policy is that inflation only goes down when the interest rates higher than the inflation rate. So think about it. I just told you the inflation rate's 10 percent. And so if history is a guide – you know, this, these little half-point moves aren't going to do anything to inflation, nothing at all. Wow, yeah, it says uh, several current and former Fed officials today suggest in recent days that in hindsight, the central bank could have reacted quickly and more forcefully last fall, but that would have profound uncertainty above the future of the Fed's approach to setting policy slowed it down. How do you feel mm-hmm. about that? Did they move too slow? 
Yeah, they moved way too slow, and 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 you know, you know, if you were watching you know, Larry Kudlow and I on, on Larry's show you know, quite a bit, have been talking about this going all the way back until you know last a year ago, and and so it was really obvious that inflation was starting to take off as soon as Biden lit the fire with his you know fake stimulus bill, and um, that's when the Fed sh- should have started moving, and uh, the fact that they didn't. Is because I think that they're basically uh, they're in denial and they're still in denial. If you saw Jay Powell in his news conference said that there are no signs of a recession, but the first quarter GDP number was negative. A recession is when you have two negative quarters in a row. Uh, the first quarter was negative. If we get a negative quarter, it, it, second quarter number, then we're in a recession. And 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 and, and right now it's looking like that's you know better than fifty fifty chance that the second quarter is negative too. And so so think about it. We're actually looking at negative prints, and the Fed chair is telling us there's no signs of recession. You know, they're they're clearly in denial, and that's why the you know, policy got out of control. Is that they've got you know bad staff, bad career bureaucrats telling them things that aren't true about the economy, and they're making bad policies. What about the tech sector? Everything from Amazon to Facebook uh, suffering. Uh, maybe uh, 15 uh-huh. stocks that have been the backbone. Is that is that temporary in your mind, Kevin? No, because because here's the way to think about it, uh, that when the interest rate goes up, which is going to have to a lot, right, then what that means is, like, suppose the interest rate is zero, then a dollar five years from now is worth the same as a dollar today, right? But if the interest rate's 10%, then you put the dollar in the bank today and you got, like, a dollar, you know, 60 uh, five years from now. And so, and so uh, the value of money off in the future is less. Uh, the higher the interest rate, you know, that's what is called discounting, right? And, and so what happens is if you have growth stocks, you know, NASDAQ firms, then a lot of them aren't even profitable right now, but they're going to, you know, they promise to make a lot of profit, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now. Uh, and the value of having money in the future goes way down when interest rates go up. And so by my calculus, NASDAQ, because just because of the interest rate changes this year, should have underperformed the you know the overall market by about 10%, and that's about how it's done. And so it's really just like the interest rate story that's driving what's happening in the tech sector. Kevin Hassan, besides all this, you're really not sure what's going on. Uh, he is, uh, knows exactly, and it must be agonizing. Uh, he was former President, President Trump's uh, former member of the Council of Economic Advisors, asked to come back a couple of times. Kevin, thanks so much for making sense of all this. Thanks. Great to talk to you. And he also doesn't blame. Uh, he tries to get answers. one 408 Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The proper response when asked about these protests is that what she should be saying is that President Biden condemns them, that he tells people to get away from people's houses and their children if they are Supreme Court justices. This is against local, state, federal rules. Uh, You're not ever to intimidate a justice in the course of them coming up with a decision. And instead, they're actually encouraging this to continue. Um, And it's it's not just Biden. It's, of course, you know, Senator Schumer has personally threatened. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, if there's anybody among leadership that's actually speaking out against 
going to people's homes and protesting, which is crazy because does Chuck Schumer like it when they went outside his house? Did Nancy Pelosi like it when they went outside her house? That, to me, is a bridge too far. I just don't think you need to even put it in a code or a law. Just say, hey, listen, let's not bring work home. But they say, well, you can't get to them at the Supreme Court because they fenced it off. So that's what happens. Alex, listening online in Mountain View, California. Uh, Alex, what's on your mind? Yes, I just wanted to comment about the inflation. Um, in my opinion, I think the complaints about the high gas prices aren't really valid because Japan and Europe before the pandemic were actually paying 20% more than what we're paying now. And they solved their high gas issues by simply driving subcompact cars. And we could do the same thing. And and furthermore, if we did uh, everyone drive the subcompact cars, we'd lower demand for gasoline. And that actually would help our nation right. out. Because Except for when you need a bigger car. And you need minivans to get four kids around, or you have to pick up kids and go to a uh, a sporting event, or you want to uh, travel long distance, you maybe don't want to do it in a Corolla. And that should not be an issue. We are an energy-independent com- uh, country, Alex. I'm all for sacrificing within reason. But all of a sudden now, because somebody wants to uh, invest in wind and solar and vilify oil and gas, we have to go and, and, and live in a Volkswagen? I don't know. I'm done with that. Uh, let's talk about Joe Biden. Does he play the blame game? He always has. Listen to him back in April. Listen to him back in May, and over in May last week. Cut three. So because of the pandemic, we had disruptions in our supply of important materials. So prices went up. The second big reason for inflation is gas prices. And it's Vladimir Putin's gas price increase. The deficit went up every year under my predecessor before the pandemic and during the pandemic. Yeah, uh, predecessor... Uh, supply chain, inflation is caused by Vladimir Putin. It's everything. I mean, can you imagine JFK in the Bay of Pigs? Sorry about that. Eisenhower left this plan behind, and I thought I'd do it since he was a very famous general. Can you imagine Iran-Contra? The President Reagan at the time said, we only just sent some weapons over to Iran. Found out it was more, and he apologized. Not a joke. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I do think that uh, uh, it was not correct to ban Donald Trump. I think that was that was a mistake um, because it uh, it alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice. And he still had a voice. That's Elon Musk saying yesterday, I'm going to invite him back on. Batia Unger Sargon joins us now, Newsweek's deputy opinion editor and author of Bad News, How Woke Media is Undermining Democracy. Batia, welcome back. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I'm such a huge fan of yours, and I just want your listeners to know how awesome you are, because this morning when you all asked me if I would be able to come on and talk about, you know, Elon Musk and Twitter, I said, you know, I I would love to, but I'm not sure I agree with Brian. And you guys all said, you know what, that's even better, because we're not scared of different viewpoints. We welcome that. So I just want your listeners to know that about you. You talk the talk, you walk the walk, and I'm so glad to be here with you. All right, great. Now you're going to hit me with the bad news. You don't agree. I I (laughs) I don't think that uh, I love that he's going to invite him back on. Uh, I like that he wants to be more inclusive about it. He did talk about having some standards, but uh, keeping the 45th president off wouldn't be one of them. You think that's a mistake for Elon if he gets it? 
No, I totally agree with that. I think the way conservatives are treated on Twitter is really deplorable. You see them being censored all the time, being shut down, being booted, um, having their platforms limited in ways seen and unseen. And I think that that is all disgusting. I'm on the left, but I can see that. And I think it's horrible. I think booting Trump from Twitter was insane. You don't do that to the president. I mean, you don't do it to the former president. I, I think that was all. I totally agree with you about all of that. Where I disagree is I think that um, Elon Musk is just not the right guy for this because of something that I think I know you're passionate about. So I'm so excited to discuss this with you because of his connections with China. I mean, Elon Musk has never said no to the Chinese Communist Party. He's been groveling to them and cheerleading them, building a showroom in Xinjiang where there's a genocide of Uyghurs happening that I know you're passionate about. He's just in China's pocket. And so to me, you know, all of his sort of all of this talk about free speech is, I just can't take it seriously for a guy who's, you know, the Chinese Communist Party's biggest cheerleader in the West. That's why I think, you know, I, I feel a little bit hesitant to, to be excited about, you know, Elon Musk and Twitter. I think that him trying to sort of, he's always trying to change the conversation around this. Um, yesterday, there was a big recall at Tesla of 130,000 Tesla cars for overheating when they charge quickly and, and the screen going blank. And that's when he chose to make these remarks. And so to me, I think he was trying to sort of shift the narrative a little bit. And I have just a more cynical view of him. What do you think, Brian? Well, that's a good point. I just thought that when he's investing, he's investing like almost all these international corporations do in China because they want to be able to uh, grow that market. They see billions of people and they say that's a chance to manufacture at a, de- at a decent rate. But, you know, China did invest, allow him to come forward and to allow him to go forward with the Tesla. That is definitely a concern. I'd love to see him answer that question uh, directly. But overall, I love the fact that Jack Dorsey supports that Trump comes back on. He says, listen, at the time we thought it was a good move. It's not a good move. Do you think overall as a business move, you want to be able to hear all if Trump starts doing stuff that's irresponsible, you simply suspend that account or you suspend that tweet? But when you when you ban people forever, it tells a bunch of people they don't care what I think. Yeah, the, the liberal bias on Twitter is so obvious that even someone like me who's on the left can see it. And it's 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 awful because it weakens your side, Brian. Like when you're not having those debates, when you're not seeing how the other side thinks, when you're protecting yourself in a cocoon from from viewpoints you disagree with, you get weak because you're no you're no longer forced to actually ask yourself, well, what if I'm wrong? Because you only see people who agree with you. And I think that that weakness is just it's one of the driving forces of the Democratic Party today and why they're always catering to an ever smaller, more marginal, more extremist left wing, because they just are not forced to hear how normal Americans think about, you know, a million issues where we're so much more divided than united. So, yeah, I totally think that it was a mistake to boot um, President Trump. I I, I don't understand how they thought, you know, and it's so funny, Jack Dorsey made all these terrible decisions at the time, and now he's sort of saying, oh, no, now I back Elon Musk overturning them, right? (laughs) I think in one way, I think that somehow Jack Dorsey was afraid to upset his left. And they evidently yeah. he's all in on Elon Musk coming in. Here's what Musk said about Truth Social, because I don't think Trump's doing it anyway. Cut 29. It's not going to be on Truth Social, um, as will uh, a large part of the sort of the, the right in the in the United States. Um, and so I think this could end up being, frankly, worse than having a sing, you know, single forum where everyone can debate. OK, so we'll see where he goes. Uh, the other big story is Roe v. Wade. Here's what some of the critics are saying, the Democrats are saying, about the protests in front of the Supreme Court justices' houses. 
Listen from Talib to uh, Talib to Senator Warren to Omar. Cut thirty two. I wanted to know if you think that the protesters that are outside Supreme Court justices' homes and interrupting Catholic masks, if they should be prosecuted for violating federal laws that prevent that. Yeah, I think we should be careful because it's a slippery slope, right? They have a First Amendment right to be there and protest. Bottom line, you don't condemn it. You think that these protesters should continue to be outside Supreme Court justices' homes and interrupt Church. I get interrupted and protested all the time. I welcome it in many ways, as long as it's not, you know, uh, violent rhetoric. This Supreme Court said back then protesters should be able to get right in people's faces. Now they are erecting barriers to try to keep protesters as far away from themselves as possible. And, you know, they go on and on and on. So they just say this is part of the business. Do you think it should be part of the business? No. Oh, God, it's appalling. I mean, if you want to understand the Democratic Party right now, you could not have asked for a better image than a bunch of, like, overeducated, white, um, radical, liberal young women invading a Hispanic church and screaming at people who are at prayer, right? That is the Democratic Party in a nutshell. It's a bunch of white, overeducated, liberal elites screaming at people of color, you know, acting like they're on the side of social justice and the side of equality and the side of progress while screaming in their faces, disrupting their prayer, disrespecting their values, increasing the divide between the the, the outcomes of poor kids of color in schools and rich white kids. That is the Democratic Party today. And they just can't face themselves because, like you keep pointing out, they limit what they're exposed to. They only see their far left flank because they spent all their time on Twitter, which is a place where only leftists get to have their say, right? And so they don't understand how out of touch they are with the average American, with the average Democratic voter who really agrees with the Republicans and their Republican neighbors on so many issues, especially social religious issues. Yeah, I want you to hear what Senator Marco Rubio said about it. I just think I don't have to see it codified. I would just like to say, hey, listen, let's not go to Jen Psaki's house. Let's not go to Kohli McEnany's house. Let's not go to Alito's house. Uh, we don't want to harass uh, Amy Comey Barrett's family, most of which are under 10 years old, and traumatize them. I just think there's got to be uh, there's got to be some decorum somehow, some way. Here's what Marco Rubio said. Cut 35. I can't call a Supreme Court justice tonight and say, hey, I know you have a case before you. I really like you to rule that way. You can't do that. If I can't call him on the phone and say that, how can you assemble a mob with pitchforks and torches and go outside their private home? And people say peacefully assemble. That's not true. The message behind showing up at someone's house is we know where you live. We're going to make you uncomfortable. We're going to make your family uncomfortable. And by the way, there's 100 of us here. 99 of us are going to go home. And you never know if one whack job either here or somewhere else is going to show up in the middle of the night and try to harm you. That's the message behind showing up at people's home. It is an open effort to intimidate Supreme Court justices on their decision. It's illegal. It's improper. It should be condemned. And it's going to lead to bad places. And the thing is, Batia, it was it's not hard for the president to say that. Don't you agree? I totally agree. I mean, the fecklessness here, um, you know, of Jen Psaki refusing to condemn 
something so ugly, something illegal, by the way, right? Um, something just so ugly. I totally agree with you. I think it's really awful. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that Roe v. Wade codified into law a position on abortion that is far to the left of where the average Democratic voter believes the law should be. The vast majority of people who call themselves pro-choice only believe it should be legal in the first trimester, 15 weeks, which is essentially where that Mississippi bill is at. And so we've had a law that is essentially way to the left of where even the median Democratic voter is at. Now, I will say that bills that try, seek to penalize women, you know, send them to jail, stuff like that for getting an abortion is far to the right of where the median Republican voter is at. 60% of Republican voters don't believe women should go to jail or suffer penalties for, th- for getting an abortion. So it seems to me both parties have really lost sight of the most important thing, which is the democracy should reflect where the American people are at. And Americans are actually a lot less divided on abortion than our politicians and our media want us to believe. Yeah, it seems like every exercise done in this decision hasn't even come down yet. Make sure to pick up Newsweek online or in person. Batia Unger at Sargon, thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. It's always such a pleasure. Keep being awesome. All right. Thank you. I'm going to try. Uh, hey, listen, I'm going to finish up and find out if there's any calls out there. Also, uh, see if there's more to know. Brian Kilmeade Show. Also, I'll be on the five tonight and I'll be on Cudlow at four. Busy afternoon. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. So there have been protests outside the home of some Supreme Court justices. Broadly speaking, how do you feel about that? I think it's reprehensible. Stay away from the homes and families of elected officials and members of the court. You can express yourself, exercise your First Amendment rights, but to go after them in their homes, to do anything of a threatening nature and certainly anything violent is absolutely reprehensible. And you're just not going to hear that from another Democrat that I know of. I mean, that I give uh, Eric just found that I did not know it existed that anybody was upset that the that the Supreme Court justice is getting harassed and that Alito had to leave his house and I believe Kavanaugh had to be forced out over the weekend. Got out ahead of time. Let's find out if there's even more to know. More to know. All right, not a surprise. No charges for Mike Tyson for punching out an airplane passenger. That guy looks deranged, by the way. Remember, he kept hitting the back of his seat, wanted to take a picture with him, hit him. So Tyson just turned around and punched him uh, uh, two or three times in the face. And then you see him afterwards. It turns out the guy's got pretty much a a bad criminal record. Uh, Quote, uh, the San Mateo District Attorney's Office said it has closed the case and decided against pursuing charges against Tyson. See, if during his days, everybody would try to get famous by prosecuting Tyson, even when he didn't deserve it. There were times he did. Uh, Representatives for Tyson previously said the boxer was on a flight when an aggressive passenger uh, who began harassing him threw a bottle of water at him into his seat. You know, apparently Tyson was very friendly with them and nice, and he took pictures with them, him and this guy and his friend, and then the guy drunk or whatever. And also the guy that was punched also asked not to have charges filed because he probably realized he was in the wrong. He's got a bad record. Yeah. Next, Dave Chappelle's alleged attacker denied request for release. That's good news. Isaiah Lee was in court on Tuesday asking for the judge to reduce the $30,000 bond. The judge said no. A photo of the NBC4 channel uh, Los Angeles shows Lee looking very solemn. You should. You stormed the stage with a weapon. How is even considered you getting out? Even if you had the $30,000 is beyond me. My, here, my question with this is that they're not going to go with felony charges because one of the excuses that the DA was making 
the knife wasn't extended. So that's now, I mean, so what was going to stop if he wasn't taken off the stage? What would have stopped him from extending the knife and using it? I agree with you. Because he didn't extend it? Absolutely. Next, Netflix will not stream Dave Chappelle's sets from their Netflix as a joke festival where he was attacked on stage. So he loses all around. For what? Not for for allowing this guy not to stab him so it's not going to get aired? Well, you know, apparently, though, further into this, that they weren't going to be airing that. It wasn't going to be aired anyway. They said any footage was never recorded by them to begin with. It's all secondary handheld footage. Well, look, uh, I'm sure they they recorded it because they were recording Dave Chappelle. Why would you not record your headliner? Dave Chappelle and Friends? Uh, He was on stage unless it was a warm-up act. Uh, This thing before the festival began, which ran from uh, April 28th through May 8th, Netflix made it clear that Chappelle's four sold-out shows at the Hollywood Bowl were not being filmed. I guess I see what you're saying there. Chappelle did have his own cameras there to film his performance, according to Hollywood Reporter. The festival featured 336 uh, comics performing 288 shows. So uh, that is a huge festival. After a while, you must be all sounding the same. Yeah, but, I mean, think about all the different people that you can uh, can check out. Bob Saget's tribute among premier uh, Bob Saget's tribute among the premier dates set for Netflix is a joke festival. Uh, they're going to air it June 10th. It's one of the lineup's highlights. Uh, in the special, Saget's friends and family pay their respects to America's dad. We just know this though. Among the people on there, John Mulaney, Dave Chappelle, Chelsea Handler, John Stewart took the stage to remember the legacies of Robin Williams, Joan Rivers, Richard Pryor, and George Carlin. So that kind of roundup everyone that died over the last 10 years, maybe. I mean, great, great comedians. I, although I, I don't want to say the odd one out should be Chelsea Handler. I just don't find her. I just don't find her. Uh, yeah, she's funny. sarcastic and angry. Uh, but uh, who isn't? Next, Eric's not. Mm, maybe. Hey, uh, James Cromwell, babe and succession actor, glues himself to a New York City Starbucks counter in a milk protest. The actor and Adam Rice activist James Cromwell uh, did the gluing uh, in New York City. People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, who are better known as PETA, posted live video on social media showing Cromwell, who's 82 and the star of the Babe movies and HBO's succession, voicing his concerns. There's no reason for it except greed, Cromwell says. When will you stop raking in huge profits while customers, animals, and the environment suffer? I thought milk was a painless way to drink yeah, something I mean, that's he was good going, for you. He was going off, apparently, also saying that when you separate... The babies from their uh, cow mothers, they mourn just like a human would mourn. That, that was also part of his uh, diatribe trying to get people off of milk. Cromwell said Starbucks is guilty of enforcing a senseless upcharge against customers seeking a milk alternative. Oh, my goodness. Next. Oh my, how many Netflix stories do we have? A House subcommittee will hold a hearing next week about UFOs. The first open congressional hearing about UFOs in more than 50 years. The hearing will be held May 17th in front of a subcommittee, uh, which is chaired by Adam Schiff. Schiff told the New York Times that the committee is holding the series to explore one of the great mysteries of our time and to break the cycle of excessive secrecy and speculation with truth and transparency. Yeah, he, we know he really is into uh, truth and transparency. Right, I know. Truth, the truth is out uh, there. I'm we sure. wouldn't believe it. He could sit there with a little green man. I wouldn't believe it's real. <laughs> and I would say this. We made a very bad move, according to... Uh, Musha Bishow, who's a really smart guy. You had him on your uh, Saturday Misha, show. He says by reaching out to other worlds, we could be creating a hornet says We have no idea who's out there. Yeah, because we gave him, we showed him what the human body, how the human body is made up of. Big mistake. Them, yeah. Naked pictures. Yes. We sent naked pictures out to space. Why would we do that? 
Because now, now they'll know our, our vital weaknesses. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Joe Rogan loses number one ranking on Spotify. It's a new podcast thanks to Batman Unburied. The Rogan Experience had held the top spot since December 2021. The new number one podcast on Spotify, Batman Unburied, premiere May 3rd and has released only two episodes. The show covers a serial killer stalking the citizens of Gotham City while Batman is nowhere to be found. Okay. So this got to be short-lived. He'll come back. That's, that's the thing. These are one of those, like, limited time. Uh, you're only going to get once they get the story out. Boom. Done. And I'm sure he'll be right back at number one. And this is out of control. Jacksonville Jaguars coach Josh Lambeau, a kicker, is apparently taking his, up, uh, his beef with the Jaguars coach Urban Meyer to the courts, reportedly filing a lawsuit against the team over his, uh, the former head coach's alleged misconduct. During the alleged incident, Lambeau said that Meyer kicked him in the leg while he was stretching and said, hey, dip blank. Make your effing kicks. Lambeau claims he told the coach to never touch him again, but then Urban responded, I'll kick, your, I'll kick you whenever the F I want. You can't sue for that, can you? Isn't that called a normal football conversation? I mean, you could say maybe you went too far, but again, I'm, I mean, I would you fight back, and that's what he did. You know, that's what you do. So if your coach did that to you, you would say... Hey, sue? No, not sue. You just football. tell him off back. Absolutely. Hey, uh, make sure you watch me on The Five today. Watch me on Larry Kudlow also at four. But it's really about Larry Kudlow. The Five is really about me. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.